Another podcast edition of A Wounded Head, now sacred ministry of Colton Lutheran Parish out of Colton, South Dakota. I am Herb Wounded Head III. I'm the pastor here of Colton Lutheran Parish. And today we're going to be talking about the gospel according to John in the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 11, the assigned gospel text for the seventh Sunday of Easter, the great week of weeks that happens after the resurrection on Easter Day, then we have a week of weeks, or 50 days until the season of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost opens up. So this is our last text of the Easter season. So we change the colors from white, and we'll go into red for a little bit for Sunday. And then I think we do white again for Holy Trinity, and then we're green for uh, quite some time. Then we'll be in the season of growth and of life in the season of Pentecost. But today, we're going to talk about Jesus's, what's called his high priestly prayer, which is the wind down to the farewell discourse in the gospel according to John. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for what life will be like when he has ascended and when he will go back to his father in glory. So what he does is he offers this prayer. It's almost like an aside, if you can think of that, you know, and uh, in a great sort of play or production in that kind of way where I, I, I picture Jesus kind of looking over to uh, stage right uh, up, up into the, uh, the balcony seats a little bit and offering his high priestly prayer. And I, I know it didn't happen like that, but if I were to view it, I think that's what I would see. So that's just the image that I have in my head. And so Jesus offers this prayer for his disciples. And so he prays for a few things. It's a prayer for knowing who God is. He prays for protection for his disciples and prays for a glorification in, in a way as uh, if we remember the gospel according to John, that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's almost like a return to that beginning of the gospel of John, this understanding that, that Jesus, the uh, second person of the Trinity, was there at the beginning for all time, in the creation and with God forever. And... He also prays for what I think is an interesting thing towards the end when he's starting to wind down a little bit. He prays that they may be one, which I find really interesting and in a way kind of kind of naive, it feels like. You know, I, I don't want to put anything on the God, but when I read it, my initial critical reaction is, really? Right? I mean, it's a prayer for unity in the world. Now, I can be pretty critical of, of things. And, and the problem with being critical is sometimes we don't, we don't offer up solutions. Right? And I'm not saying I have a solution for, uh, you know, hey, God, you should do this. I mean, God is God and I am not. Right? So we have to trust and have faith that these things are, are going to work themselves out 
and actually not even work themselves out, that God will do it in God's time. And we have trust and have faith that that's how it's going to happen. But the prayer for unity, I think, is an interesting one. I mean, it's a, maybe it's even a, a high ideal. And for me, in my own sense of, you know, how things are going, it feels unattainable. It feels like something that, that we can't get to or hope to um, rise to. We're a pretty divisive people, even as Christians. I mean, we're pretty divisive and spread apart just in our day-to-day living. But if we just take a quick little look, even at how we're doing as Christians, it only took about, you know, maybe 15 to 20 years before the Apostle Paul had to start writing letters back to the churches that he started and that you know, they're having squabbles and disagreements over a whole host of things. Like what you could eat. Like who you could eat with. Marriage and singleness. Who can receive communion? Who was the better preacher or teacher? Or how to live as a follower of Jesus? We tend to be people who are anything but unified, especially in the church, We don't even have to look at, you know, denominations of mainline Protestantism or however many, you know, different congregations and non-denominational churches there are that are out there. It's when we pray for unity, I just, Jesus prays for unity. I just kind of put on my doubting Thomas hat and go, hmm. Well, that's interesting. Division, though, is kind of in our nature, right? I mean, we we tend to have disagreements with one another. Small towns, for instance. I bring this up a lot. But if you look at small towns in South Dakota, which is most, most of them, they tend to not like their neighboring small towns. For instance, I grew up in the small town of Gayville, South Dakota, and we we had our rivals in school. And nobody could tell you why those neighboring schools were our rivals, but we just knew that we, you know, wouldn't converse or hang out with those types of, you know, those people from other neighboring towns. One of the great things and... um Opportunities I had was in my small town, we only had baseball up until I was 12 in sixth grade. And so I was done playing baseball uh, in my hometown at that time. But I got asked to play on the teener team in the local town, which we weren't supposed to like, Wakanda. And so I played baseball in Wakanda for a number of years up through my, my teener years, even played football. In Wakanda, my senior year when Gayville couldn't field enough players to have a football team my senior year, we merged with a local team of Wakanda. We became Wakanda Gayville Volunt, and that was a great experience. Loved playing with those the guys in, in Wakanda in baseball and in football. I went on and I played baseball, Legion baseball in Centerville. Made great friends 
over in Centerville. But not supposed to like those other towns, right? Because we're small town folk. We don't like other folk. Well, it's not limited to small towns, right? All we have to do is take a look at the largest city in the state of South Dakota, and they tend to not like each other as well. We've got the east side competing with the west side of Sioux Falls. We go to the west side of the state, and we've got North Rapid and South Rapid. And when you go between the gap, what's called the gap, out in Rapid City, you are divided by neighborhood. We can even go by our own great state. We've got the Missouri River that pretty much cuts us in half. Gia, geographically, so we've got East River and we've got your West River. We could even look at our country. We can have the East Coast versus the West Coast. And then there's all of us in the middle, right? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of joking, but not, right? I mean, we just kind of get sort of, hmm, I don't know. Not necessarily forgotten, but just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the people in the middle, right? So we're divisive people. We tend to sort ourselves out or compare ourselves over and against others as if light is some sort of competition and you gauge yourself based on what, what that other small town is doing or how can we compete or we're not like that other small town. Come and join us or whatever it might be. Sometimes there's, there's great debates that go back in, into history of these small towns and when they started over a hundred years ago and some of the things that they were awarded, whether it be like the, the train depot or the post office or even the county seat, which is an important thing in South Dakota to be the county seat of one of the counties in South Dakota can set you up for a lot of division based on who got passed over for whatever reason. So we can be divisive. We can hold grudges. We can be upset at each other for a number of different things. The Bible and scriptures tell us about these things all of the time. So it's no wonder that we are people who are prone to conflict and tension. It's odd then when we get this prayer and Jesus prays for unity. I guess it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, Jesus knows what people are like. He knows what his disciples are like. He knows the people that he's encountered wherever he's gone to teach, to heal, to preach, to talk about the kingdom of God, to talk about God alone. Jesus' prayer for unity is necessary because Lord knows we could use some. We have divisions all the time and it's not just in our nation or in our state or in our towns or in our churches. It's in our families. It's in our work. It's with our neighbors. Good fences make good neighbors, right? Isn't that the old saying as how that goes? So in this world of division, 
and of our divisive tendencies. What, what can we do about it? Right? Because God obviously doesn't want us to be that way. Otherwise, why would Jesus offer up this petition? There's no reason to pray it if it doesn't need to happen. So, what do we do about it? Well, I think we can take a look at the gospel, according to John. Maybe took at uh, uh, pan out a little bit and take a look at the lives of the disciples. And maybe we can catch a glimpse of how it's supposed to work. Not perfectly. It's never going to be perfect because we're human. We were created good, not perfect. But maybe we can do some things to make the kingdom of God known. And what does that look like? Well, I'll talk more about that on Sunday. But to give you a hint, it's also in Jesus's high priestly prayer in his farewell discourse. So I hope this weekend, as we begin to wind down our school year and as activities and things ramp up for summer and we see a lot of activity out in the fields, with farmers getting their crops ready, I pray that Jesus' high priestly prayer reaches to you. A prayer that is for unity when, wherever you might need that in your life, that it may reach you just where you are, knowing and trusting that God meets you there as well. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk.